the fundamentals of singing stuck with me, but not the material. And I was just, I knew I was going to be singing in bars and honking tonks and <laughs> stages. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. On this episode, I chat with bluegrass artist Alex McLeod. We talk about his long history in the scene, from having a stint playing in the legendary band Northern Lights, to how his latest group, Rock Hearts, got their start, some fun stories from recording their debut album, and what events such as the Ocean State Bluegrass Festival that's happening this coming weekend can mean for the community of musicians in our area. So I hope you enjoy, and as always, please follow Where the Living Room Used to Be on Facebook and Instagram as I'll be posting a whole bunch of fun stuff from Alex's time in music there over the coming weeks. Thanks. I was a military kid, so I I grew up sort of all over the world, but I would, Mm -hmm. I spent the most time in Southeastern Connecticut. um, Okay. Over in East Lyme and in Salem. And my dad was a career military guy, but he grew up playing and, and cut his tooth playing bluegrass up in the Boston bluegrass scene in the late fifties and early sixties. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, um, you know, and growing up, I, I always heard stories about him playing with like, uh, you know, this guy, Sam Tidwell and Bob Tidwell and the likes of Davy Dillon and Dr. Richie Brown and, um, Don Stover, the Lilly brothers, Joe Val, like all these folks that really established, New England bluegrass out of Boston. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I sort of grew up hearing about all these names only to um, never have met Bill Thibodeau or mandolin player up until about four years ago. And as it turns out, his father was none other than Sam Tidwell, this guy that I grew <laughs> up hearing all about. And yeah. it was just a really natural uh, opportunity, I think, for, um, you know, for, for uh, Billy and I to get together um, you know, and he is absolute bluegrass pedigree for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, so, so I moved to Rhode Island about 20 years ago, um, to, uh, be a teacher in Providence. And, um, and I, and I quickly learned that there was a real healthy bluegrass scene in Rhode Island. Um, mm-hmm. I started playing in the late eighties up in New Hampshire I played through the early nineties in Massachusetts, uh, with a band there. And, um, and, and that's where I got to really know the Rhode Island bluegrass people. Um, oh, okay. Know, Just from like trading shows. Yeah. We'd go to, you know, the foster meeting house and that's where yeah, I met okay. your father-in-law and, and Don Lurgio and guys, just great fun people to pick with. And yep. there was a really vibrant scene. Um, there was a, an old timer by the name of Bill Hall, uh, who is certainly, you know, one of the pioneers of Rhode Island bluegrass mm-hmm. um, and, and larger, you know, New England bluegrass. Well, his daughter, Deb, happens to be with Billy Thibodeau. They've been together 10 years now. And yeah, they yeah. grew up uh, as contemporaries in the bluegrass scene as, um, you know, kids to bluegrass musicians. So we all remember growing up 
falling asleep to mom and dad playing music downstairs with all their friends. Well, was bluegrass your first toe in the water of playing music? Is that what you, or what was your like early, yeah. uh, early musical I, history? You know, I, yeah, I grew up listening to bluegrass and my dad was really into, um, you know, uh, flat and scrugs. He listened mm-hmm. to the old stuff, uh, flat and scrugs, Bill Monroe, Jimmy Martin, Jim and Jesse McReynolds. And, you know, so, you know, as a youngster, um, you sort of dismiss that music as your parents' music, you know? And so for me personally at 12, 14, I was listening to, uh, more of the kind of the seventies, 60s, 70s folks. So Crosby, Stills and Nash, Dan Fogelberg, um, you know, uh, Jonathan Edwards, uh, you know, that kind of acoustic music. Yep. And it wasn't until I was probably in my late teens, early twenties, I really started appreciating the good old country, George Jones, Lefty Frizzell, Merle Haggard. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, then learning about, you know, guys like Keith Whitley and then learning about that crossover, you know, Keith Whitley having, um, you know, played a long time with JD Crow in the new South, which is, one of the most established second generation bluegrass musicians that there mm-hmm. is. And, um, and this really these cool crosswalks of, of the old, good old country and some in bluegrass, uh, yeah, Vince yeah. Gill, right. Vince Gill, another one, huge country music guy, but, um, you know, was introduced to bluegrass as, as a late teen, early 20 guy, um, you know, uh, having been from Kentucky. So I did that, you know, and then, um, and then, you know, I, I tried on some other, you know, music, uh, gangster rap um just because i love the beat in in the rhythm uh yeah okay passion of it i i just i find it so attractive so i enjoy that um and, but you know bluegrass is really where i find um uh, the most enjoyment and yeah my my, my parents are long past but you know playing music kind of keeps me connected to them in a way and, yeah um and so that's that's a really cool thing so well when did um, you start playing guitar and how did you start uh, playing guitar I got my, my, so my dad was a guitar player and, um, and so I, you know, I always enjoyed it and he had this beautiful old 1972 Martin, uh, D 28. And he said, you know, don't play this when I'm not home. Well, of course <laughs> I got home before him every day. Yeah. It's like the big red button. <laughs> yeah. Like, don't hit this red button. Yeah. You're like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and he yeah. bought it brand new in 72 and I was born in 70 and my sister was born in 68. So me and my sister and that guitar were like siblings. Um, uh-huh. As my dad was often deployed, I think that guitar spent more time with my dad than my sister or I ever did. But, um, but in any case, so I, you know, I had a fascination for it. So my parents bought me my first guitar when I was sixteen mm-hmm. um, from Caruso Music down in New London, Connecticut, and um, right. and that was my guitar um, until I was in my early twenties, and I got into my first Martin uh, D10, sort of a. Uh, a beginner Martin model, but I still have it and mm-hmm. I've just kind of worked my way up. So uh, I'm currently planning uh, an original pre-war uh, 1941 D18 that I was able to and blessed enough to to uh, be able to get. Um, so, yeah, so i uh, been playing guitar, um, tried upright bass, um, uh, you know, about six years ago or so. I, I started learning upright bass and that really yeah. I had never learned how to play an instrument like officially, you know? Um, okay. Like yourself taught with, yeah, with guitar, I was a, like, I was always a singer. Like, you know, I'd be eight years old running around singing Ricky Skaggs in my house. And uh-huh. My mom said, you know, someday you're going to be a singer. And, 
you know, I started singing chorus in school and started taking voice lessons, classically trained. But that really, the, the, the fundamentals of singing stuck with me, but not the material. And I was just, I knew I was going to be singing in bars and honky tonks and stages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that was, that was my introduction. And, you know, when I started grad school, um, a local bluegrass band up in Keene, New Hampshire was looking for a, a, a singer. And I thought, what a great opportunity. And after my very first show, uh, the bass player, who's a dear friend of mine, looked at me and says, well, you're in it now, buddy. Yeah. No like looking the, back, you know. It's, the it's been, the uh, bluegrass bug got you. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, it's, Sal it's always wrong. talks about that. But yeah, like it seems like once you kind of get pulled into bluegrass, it just becomes ingrained <laughs> in your life. And it's just yeah. it's a, a culture that you become or, you know, can become a part of if you want to. Like there's just so much yeah. that goes on from the the jamming scene, you know, if you want to go picking, if you want to play in bands or just travel around and there's, you know, when COVID isn't happening, as you know, there's just festivals happening basically every weekend. If you want to go and check some amazing musicianship. Um, so, there yeah. sure are. Yeah. And, and the venues now are starting to come back too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember when I first moved to Rhode Island, there was a bluegrass jam out in Warwick uh, over near Connecticut point in a uh, restaurant called the Laura Lee. And I think oh, okay. it's names a few times, but, um, you know, it was, I knew I could always go there. I could always go to the Wood River Inn and I could always go to the Foster Meeting House and, and find some jams. Um, you know, Rich Gilbo um, had kind of headed up the whole uh, Rhode Island bluegrass scene for many years. And, um, and then um, Sal and, and Rhode Island Bluegrass Alliance kind of, um, you know, picked up the torch and have been running with it. Uh, yep. And so I really... Um, you know, so there are some scenes, there's some events, you know, that Riva has her annual picnic, uh, which, by the way, is coming up September 18th. Yeah, um, yeah we'll talk about that. Yeah, Bluegrass yeah. Festival, and <laughs> yeah. uh, they, they do an annual awards banquet where they recognize and induct folks into the Rhode Island Bluegrass Hall of Fame. Um, and so, yeah, and, and I've been, you know, blessed enough to know, know a lot of the, the, the folks that have been in the Rhode Island Bluegrass Hall of Fame, and including Bill Hall and um, you know, the late Mike Crop, mm-hmm. um, who uh, I had the pleasure of, of playing music with for many years. We started a band together. We were in uh, Northern Lights together for a short time. And um, yeah, I'd love to talk about some of the Rhode Island bands that you've been in. Um, and because I mean, yeah, like the, the list of bands you that you've played in is is amazing and just the the lineup of, of other musicians that have been in those are just yeah, yeah. legendary in this scene uh yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's really cool well, i'm excited to talk to you about that but yeah like so what was the first rhode island band that you started playing in so i i uh, i i ventured into the wood river in one night and uh there was a bluegrass night and um the, the and this is in run, wyoming yeah rhode this island, is right? yeah, yeah exit three down in wyoming rhode island uh, Boucher's uh, Wood River Inn, and they've been hosting a Sunday night bluegrass show there for a long time. And I, uh, I swung in and, um, you know, got to know some guys just from picking uh, my buddy, mm-hmm. Greg Badesian from Wakefield. He's a great fiddler and great uh, guitar player. Uh, an old friend of mine from Connecticut um, who was kind of making us, you know, playing bass with a lot of different bands. Tom Bowman was here. Um, my former bass player from Back Eddie uh, Bluegrass, which is a new New Bedford bass band, uh, lived close by. So the Wood River Inn had a fifth Sunday, 
And the owner said, geez, I forgot to book a band. What am I going to do? So <laughs> he, he reached out to us and my buddy Greg and I said, well, let's see what we can figure out. So we called up Mike Crop. Mm-hmm. He said, sure, I'll jump in. We called up Josh to come over and play bass. Uh, at the time, there was a mandolin player up in Providence uh, who was going to RISD uh, to become a luthier. His name was Ben Pierce. Um, and, and Greg and myself, and we formed a band called the Fifth Sunday Band. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, there and you go. We played, and it was really great reception. Um, and we thought, okay, there's only five Sundays, like four times a year. So let's let's do it. So we yeah. formed uh, the Fifth Sunday Band that we later renamed Southern Road. And that's yep. R-H-O-D-E. Mm-hmm. Um, and that band's been going for, you know, 12 years, something like that. Yeah, and okay. it, was, it was through Southern Road. I was over uh, playing music over at Mike Croft's house. And, um, you know, we had, we had had a great session. He had some friends over, like Jeff uh, Horton. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, he's just a monster uh, vocalist <laughs> and bass player. He was in the Neon Valley Boys back in the day in Boston. And. Uh, later with Northern Lights and um, Jeff and I have been buddies for a long time. And uh, so Jeff was over at the house and Mike Crop was at the house, a lot of former Northern Lights guys. Mm-hmm. And we had a great time picking. And a few days later, I got a phone call from Bill Henry, who at the time was the front man for Northern Lights. And mm-hmm. he called and said, hey, we're looking for a front guy to sing and, and play rhythm guitar. Are you interested in joining Northern Lights? Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up seeing Northern Lights at, you know, these little festivals all around New England. So yeah. it was it was a thrill. It was an honor. And so, yeah, so I played with um, uh, Northern Lights for about a year and a half. And and ultimately, you know, that band had been around for, I think it was pushing, it first started in late 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It reincarnated in the early 80s. And um, and for the, for the, you know, up until the last 25 years, Bill Henry was really kind of the guy keeping it together and, you know, finding, finding all the different members and stuff like that. So in any case, uh, yeah. So I, I played with Northern lights for about a year and a half and they disbanded. Um, and at the same time I said, well, all right, let's, you know, um, Joe Dietz, our banjo player. Um, that was in Northern lights at the time with you. Uh, no. So Joe was in a, in a group called, um, uh, back Eddie with me that that oh, okay right you know, yeah Bedford bass group and he was having a birthday party so he reached out to his wife and he said you know for my birthday I just want to have a few friends over and do some picking so I was lucky enough to be one of those friends that got invited over <laughs> <laughs> it was Joe Dietz um, there was a local fiddle player who at the time was, um, he was work. he was a Brown graduate and they was working Danny Musher. And so Danny came up, um, my friend, a mandolin player, his name was Monty McClanahan, who was a, who was the mandolin player for Southern road. He came in, um, and the bass player was a guy by the name of Pete Kelly, who's over in Hartford, but he had toured, you know, with Dale Ann Bradley, Michael Cleveland, flame keeper as yeah, the wow. banjo player. <laughs> so he's like a world-class banjo player, guitar player, bass yeah. player. So we probably picked for about seven or eight hours that day. Until your fingers fall off, right? Oh, yeah. And it was <laughs> great food and great wine and great company. And and just it was it was really something else. And, and we said, you know, this feels really good. Maybe we should form a band. And, uh-huh. uh, and so we did. And, you know, uh, we uh, 
we became rock hearts. Yeah. Uh, we, we sort of woodshedded for about three years uh, just because, you know, the folks in the band, like, you know, the mandolin player was working retail management, which is not conducive to a working musician, right? Because mm-hmm. you're always having to work those same hours on the weekend. And so uh, after a few years, uh, Monty stepped aside. And at the same time, there's uh, our buddy, Bill Thibodeau, um, who we invited to come join us. And uh, that couldn't have been any more seamless. Uh, we knew within the first bar of the first tune that we ever did with him that he was going to be a perfect fit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's just become such a great friend. Uh, and then the bass player also had to step aside uh, to uh, take care of his mom. So Rick Brodsky, our bass player now, had been a friend of ours for a, a while, and he actually played a gig with us up at up at the Joe Val Bluegrass Festival and was yep. sort of disappointed that it was a one and done. So when he <laughs> got the call to, uh, to join us a couple of years ago, um, again, it was just perfect. And so this this group that we have now, um, you know, was was re- working really well. And and then our fiddle player um, wisely um followed a, a just a wonderful lady out to uh, Eugene, Oregon. Um, so he's working out there and he re- relocated out to Eugene and just found it kind of difficult to continue doing rock heart shows living on the other side of the country. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, so thankfully, um, you know, he's, he's still a part of the group. He's still a part of the fraternity, but um, he's kind of graciously stepped aside. And, and at which point, um, Austin Shelzo, who you saw last night was, mm-hmm. um, doing some jamming with, uh, with, um, Rick down in Connecticut. And Rick said, you know, I've got this fiddle player I'm working with right now at jams and he's young, he's exciting. He's a lot like Danny, our, our former fiddle player, just ex- so excited about the music. And mm-hmm. what do you think? I thought, sure, let's let, you know, let's bring him up and, you know, see how he does. Well, within a week he came up to practice and he learned our entire album. It was, <laughs> I mean, it was great. So, yeah. we, um, you know, and the, and the rest of sort of history, we, um, at the beginning of, um, beginning of June, uh, we introduced, or yeah, beginning of June or July, we introduced him as our new fiddle player. And yeah, uh, that's cool. So, so he's with us. And, and so we're still, um, preparing for IBMA. We're doing all the shows this fall and, um, and sort of, stockpiling material for our next recording project yeah um, and what what year did rock art start like what uh like how long ago was it so was that party you know we officially started in 2013 okay um but we you know we didn't do a whole lot uh for about three or four years we got together and we worked on material and yeah um and then we had our first official festival was the um, Pemi Valley Bluegrass Festival up in New Hampshire that has since um, discontinued. But Craig Engel was the promoter, and he and he gave us really our first opportunity at playing a main stage festival, mm-hmm. and then uh, followed up that with um, a Joe Val Showcase stage. And then the following year, uh, we were on the main stage at Joe Val. That's around 2016, um, 2017, and then we recorded in 2019. And we were um, uh, asked to um, play the Jenny Brook Bluegrass Festival. And yep. that was really well received. And that turned into our CD release, Jenny Brook Festival. And we added uh, Blistered Fingers um, to our festival oh, wow. yeah, circuit yeah. this year. 
Um, and, um, and we're, you know, we're just hoping that between the, the success of the album right now and IBMA that we'll be able to um, add a few more uh, festivals to our, to our tour uh, this, this year, and next year. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely want to talk a little bit more about the record, um, but yeah. you just brought it up the IBMA, you know, for people that are listening, it's the, the international bluegrass music association. Is that what it stands Correct. for? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, and it's, I don't know, would you say it's kind of like, I mean, it's the, the highest echelon in bluegrass music is sort of like, you know, they give out awards. They're kind of like Grammy awards and bluegrass, yeah. you know, it's like, <clears throat> it's a very big deal uh, if you're in bluegrass to be part of that community. Uh, but you are going to be a showcase band at their, yes. uh, uh, can you yeah. talk a little bit that's down in Raleigh? Uh, can you talk a little bit about, about that? I mean, that's pretty spectacular uh, and, and not, a lot of bands get to do that. So not, uh, you're right. Not a lot of <laughs> bands get to do that. Uh, IBMA has been around for, um, uh, for quite some time. Um, and, uh, it was really formed by a bunch of folks that were interested in preserving and promoting bluegrass. Um, so there's a huge educational component to it. There's a huge leadership component to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the IBMA started an annual, um, uh, get together, and it's been, um, it shifted to several locations. It was in Owensboro, uh, Kentucky, Louisville, Kentucky was in Nashville, but it's found a home in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And, um, and a bunch of bluegrass folks pretty much take over the city of Raleigh for an entire week. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it starts with, uh, with the showcase bands, um, you know, folks arrive in town Sunday or Monday, there's uh, 20 bands from around the world. Um, that that seek one of those coveted um, uh, showcase positions, and uh, and yeah, we were we were lucky enough and blessed enough awesome. to be selected this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's not you know uh, as long as IBMA has been around, I'm not sure. I I would definitely say we're the first band ever from Rhode Island um, mm-hmm. to play it, and uh, might be one of the only bands. You know, one of the hottest bands right now in the bluegrass scene is a band called Mile Twelve. Yeah, and, they're uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And they were they were uh I think one of the first New England based showcase bands. Um oh, okay. that, that sort of thrusted them up into the whole big national scene and mm-hmm. uh, they're a great group but you know I can remember when they were kind of young kids in college <laughs> playing the Yeah, they were like birthday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I saw them at Blackstone River Theater, you know, a couple of years ago. It's uh Russ right. brought them down. It was awesome. So yeah, yeah. So you know, a really great group. And um, so yeah, so we're gonna be down. Uh we're playing um uh on Tuesday the 28th. We're doing two shows there in, in the city, and then it's a it's an opportunity for a lot of networking. So mm-hmm. uh, a lot of um record labels, DJs, talent buyers, um, different organizations and associations will be there. Our mandolin player uh, has been part of the IBMA leadership uh, to help learn and promote bluegrass, uh, mm-hmm. as as is our standing Rhode Island Bluegrass Alliance president, Sal Sacco, um, who's been you know instrumental with the IBMA leadership as well. So yeah, so we're excited to go down and, and perform. And, and I think our you know, our brand of new new England bluegrass is, is pretty traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of the other new bands that are coming up, they're more progressive. I would say they pay homage to the tradition, but they're really progressive. Um, yeah. But that's a generation that's grown up with young progressive bands like nickel Creek or, you know, mm-hmm. folks like them that kind of push the boundaries and, yeah. um, but still stay within that, 
larger family of bluegrass. And, um, and so, yeah, I think that they saw that here's a traditional leaning band and we want to still have that traditional sound. And, but here's a band from new England that plays traditional bluegrass. So let's, uh, let's get them in. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So we're really stoked, but, um, the nice thing about this group is that we all speak the same musical language. Mm-hmm. We're all in it for the same reason. Um, we, we, uh, there's, there's absolutely no ego in the band. Mm-hmm. We, we all love each other as, as brothers and, and as family, and uh, we all want the best for each other. And that means sometimes if, if a member of the band has a larger calling, whether it's family or, or work or whatever, well, then we understand, we appreciate that. And there's absolutely no hard feelings. Yeah. You know, once mm-hmm. a part of the family, always part of the family, you know? Um, so it's, a, yeah, it's exciting. We're, we're already planning for our second project and, um, who knows? It could be another independent project, or maybe we uh, we talk with a label when we're in Raleigh. We we just don't know, but it's all really exciting. Um, yeah, and uh, we're excited to you know get down and record again. Uh, we we knew we wanted to record, and um, and originally, you know, when the project came out, uh, the title. Yeah, can you talk? A, called, can you talk a little bit more about uh, Starry Southern Nights? This, yeah, uh, yeah. Where was yeah, that done? It, it was in Nashville, right? With, uh, yeah, it was in it was in Goodlettsville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. Um, at at uh, the Dark Shadow Studio with with the actually the IBMA Sound Engineer of the Year, Steve Mojan. Wow, and, nice. Uh, and he actually he tours. He's a guitar player. He tours with the Sam Bush Band. Um, <laughs> so he's busy doing that. But yeah, yeah, he's he's a Massachusetts guy. Um, he went to UMass Amherst. Uh, grew up listening to that kind of Northwestern Massachusetts bluegrass scene, yeah, uh, which is really cool. And then he, uh, he relocated to, to uh, Tennessee. Um, so what happened was Joey, the banjo player became friends with Ned Luberecki. Ned is a serious XM DJ, uh, for the bluegrass junction. And he was also the banjo player for the Becky Bueller band. Uh, okay. Which, uh, you know, clearly uh, no strangers to the bluegrass community. They're, they're absolutely killing it. Yeah. And so um, Ned and Joey became friends because they're banjo players and they're absolute banjo nerds. Like they just, <laughs> you know, banjo players. I mean, you get two of them together. They're talking about tone rings and metals used and flanges <laughs> and all kinds of stuff. You know? <laughs> I, well, I don't so, do that with banjos, but drums, definitely. I'll nerd oh, out yeah. for a while about the size of a cymbal bell or something, you know? So, yeah. 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 <laughs> it's fascinating. I, I, you know, I sit there as a third party and I just listen and, and enjoy it. But uh, yeah. So Ned and, and Joe became friends and, and uh, they became friends also through going to this uh, event called the Banjo Thon down in Knoxville, okay. which is, which is a, a, a meet, a greeting meeting and greeting of a bunch of uh, owners of original Gibson pre-war banjos. Wow. And it started off in a small little setting at a guy's house, moved to a church, moved to a VFW. Now it's in a large banquet hall, like the size of the Crown Plaza. In yeah. And it is wall to wall, collectible banjos, four rows deep. There's billions of dollars probably in, <laughs> um, in antiquities of instruments. Yeah. Uh, and, they've, and they've since expanded to mandolins. So you have Gibson uh, Lloyd Lore mandolins, $130,000, $200,000 mandolins that are there. Wow. Then pre-war guitars, pre-war Martins. Um, 
So yeah, so in and so Ned broadcasts the bluegrass jamboree from the banjo thon. He and Joey became friends. Joey reached out to Ned and said, Ned, would you produce our album? And Ned <laughs> agreed to do it, uh, thankfully. And he said, But I think you should use this guy. His name is Steve Mojan down in down in Nashville to record your album. Mm-hmm. Well, Joey didn't know Steve Mojan from a hole in the wall, but he came back excited that Ned would record us. So he says, hey, guys, you know, Ned agreed to produce our album, but we got to use this guy, Steve Mojan. Yeah. So in Tennessee, we got to go to Tennessee. You know, yeah. I mean, not that they, not like you have so to twist is, someone's arm to go to like to, to go record there, but it's still like, you know. Like. Right. So this is where all the kind of Rhode Island, you know how we talk about like Kevin Bacon has nothing on Rhode Island because we're about two degrees of separation. Oh, yeah. You know, so so Ned says we got to use this guy, Steve Mojan. Well, I did some songwriting with a dear friend of mine from New Hampshire, Rick Lang, who's a Grammy nominated uh, songwriter. And we wrote a song together um, and this guy in Nashville demoed it for us. His name was Steve Mojan. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Rick, yeah. Rick, unbeknownst to me, is good friends with Steve Mojan. So um, I call up Rick and I say, hey, Ned agreed to produce our album, but we have to use Mojo. And Rick Lang says, I'm actually in Steve Mojan's studio right now. I'm sitting wow. right next to him. <laughs> and I'm thinking, my goodness. And then Bill Thibodeau says, I know Steve Mojan as well, because when I was a mandolin player in the early 80s for the Bluegrass Supply Company, he said, I walked off stage and there was a mom and dad and their son. And the mom and dad says, Billy, this is our son, Steven. He's 10 years old. He's a mandolin player. And the way the story goes is that Billy, just fresh off stage, he took his mandolin off his neck, handed it to the kid and says, here, play me something. And young little 10-year-old Steve ripped out some tune on mandolin. And Stephen remembered that moment, that experience. Like who yeah. hands a kid a, a mandolin, right? But yeah, um, Steve remembered that. So fast forward 45 years, <laughs> and there we are recording in Steve Mojan's studio in Goodlettsville. And the very first day, James, that we walked into the studio. There is a welcome rock heart sign on the door and we walk in and the LP, the vinyl album of bluegrass supply company that Steve bought when he was 10 is playing on his record player. Wow. And that's a welcome. That is like, Billy. (laughs) I mean, Billy, Billy broke down in tears. It was so Mm -hmm. sentimental for him to do that. And it was really just a magical experience recording Mm -hmm. that. Uh, However, what happened was we went down, we had practiced about a dozen songs, but we identified four that we wanted to record. All right. So fine. On the way down, we we did a couple shows uh, down in Delaware. We did a show uh, for the Brandywine Friends of Old Timey Music, and we did a show in New Haven. And we ended up in Nashville and Bill got sick and lost his voice. Oh, wow. So we've got five days booked in the studio and our high tenor singer can't sing. So what do you do? So we said, you know what? Let's just grab four more songs. Let's record eight songs and lay down all the tracks. Uh, So we laid down eight tracks, rhythms, leads, uh, lead vocals, baritone vocals, bass vocals. um, And that was in the fall of 2019. Uh And then we... Back in, in Knox, in, uh, back two months later, Joey and Billy 
went down to Banjothon in Knoxville, took a little hiatus, drove over to Nashville for two days and, okay. and wrapped up the album. <laughs> that so, one, yeah. Yeah. So Bill was able to lay down his harmonies, high harmonies, um, and go in there and, uh, and, and, you know, really cut loose on some of his mandolin breaks. He, he felt mm-hmm. kind of constrained the first time he wasn't feeling good. Uh, oh, okay. Studio. And so he, uh, he went down, man, and he ripped it up. The recording is we're, we're also super proud of the recording. Um, you know, part of the secret, of course, in, in recording is you got to practice big time so that your time in the studio is recording and not listening, yeah. and editing and cutting and re- recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got a lot of bang for our buck for five days in the studio and yeah, um, couldn't, couldn't be happier. Um, we decided that we would, uh, we mastered it in the spring of 2020, uh, and we we released our first single, "99 Year Blues," um, in on July 4th of 2020. Uh, we did um, work with Bluegrass Today uh, uh, magazine to help us sort of promote our brand and our in our band, and uh, we worked with a, a lady. Or her name is Claire Ratliff. Uh, she was our PR person. She's with Laughing Penguin. Uh, publicity and um, just the combination of all that. We about a month later, we woke up and found out that that single had debuted at number fourteen on the national bluegrass charts. And <laughs> we none of us could believe it. You know, we That's were fantastic. Ourselves, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because you know we were up there. You know, we were on the same list as Michael Cleveland, um, Special Consensus you know, all these big giant bands that we've listened to and enjoyed for so long. And there we are mm-hmm. on the charts right next to them. And yeah, we were the only unsigned band. We were the only band that was uh, in the top 20 um, that wasn't with a label. Uh, so yeah. it was a lot of really great validation for us. Uh, uh-huh. And, uh, and so, yeah, so we're, we're hoping to, um, you know, uh, build on that uh, for a yep. second project and yeah. already working on material. No, that's so, cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. no, it, it's a it's a great record. Um, you know, you've written some stuff on there. It's, uh, there's a lot of different. Uh, yeah, like just it 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 hits home for like the a good classic bluegrass fan. Like you guys are just able to have some. Uh, yeah, like bluesy waltzy kind of stuff to just the ripping, yeah. you know, bluegrass rolling banjo. You know, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's I think record. there's. Uh, I think there's five originals on the album. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's uh, Whispering Waters. Um, 99 Year Blues actually was uh, rearranged by our friend Ted DeMille up in Maine, but that was actually a big hit for a group called Hot Tuna. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. Day. But um, but the language in it was, you know, all about like shooting and violence. And we, we played the song a couple of times and we really liked it. But the crowd response was, geez, that's kind of a tough song to sing, certainly given the climate and society right now. And 
Yeah. And Ted DeMille um, rewrote the lyrics and man, I love them. So instead of hand me a bottle, a handful of ball, I'm going to shoot everyone that I don't like at all to <laughs> now it's hand me a bottle. Uh, we're going to drink to the lawyer that sent me down or, you know, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Kind of keeps with the theme of the song. It's um, I think it's just a little bit more uh, palatable, uh, mm-hmm. you know, given the given the climate of today's society. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, yeah. So, you know, we did that. Um, Whispering Waters is a great tune that uh, Billy wrote with Stan Keach from Maine. That's been covered by, you know, Audie Blaylock and other big national acts. Mm-hmm. But we're sort of reclaiming it. Um Starry Southern Nights is a song that I wrote at the Wood River Inn uh, after shortly after returning from Nashville, where I had moved for a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and my buddy Mike Belay was playing there with his band, the Hope Valley Volunteers. And I just saw something that this old guy came out on the dance floor, started dancing by himself. That's cool. And, you know, I, I you know, you look around the room and, you, sh- you know, um, you see people snickering or like, all right, that guy's had one too many. And man, just something got a hold of my heart. And I just like, I swear, just God softened my heart that moment and said, well, maybe there's something bigger, man. Keep your eyes mm-hmm. open. And, and I just had this idea that maybe that was his way of staying connected per- perhaps to his wife that had passed away or something. And mm-hmm. that's where I got the idea for that song. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, when we played that song, we were, when we played in uh, Delaware um, at the Brandywine Friends of Old Time Music, we played to a room of about 60, 70 people. The whole front row were a bunch of older gentlemen. And we sang that song. And the first two rows, all these guys were crying. And wow. we thought, oh, my goodness. Like, yeah. this song really touches people. Uh, uh-huh. and, uh, and so when we decided we were going to do a video, we just knew that it needed a certain cinematic quality to it. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the two videos... Uh, don't let Smokey Mountain smoke it in your eyes, uh, which is on the album. It mm-hmm. that is the quintessential bluegrass tune that we all recall. We fell in love with bluegrass listening mm-hmm. to it was an Osborne Brothers cover, and so we wanted to pay homage to them, uh, mm-hmm. to the fathers of bluegrass music. So we did that. And Joe's daughter Tori is a self-taught video maker, and okay. she recorded that video that now has like close to one hundred ninety thousand views. So, so cool. yeah, I mean, who, who would have thought, <laughs> right? And then that was followed up with um, with the Starry Southern Nights video where she pulled in a couple of her friends. And it's just a really beautiful, um, beautiful video. I, I couldn't be happier the way it turned out because it really brought this image I had in my head to a song, mm-hmm. to a video. And it just has come full circle. And it's just a really, so, you know, if, if folks are listening, um, grab a hanky and go, go watch the videos. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, something yeah. else. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're talking about your live show. I mean, I can attest to it as, as anyone that has seen you, uh, you're a phenomenal band. Uh, you have a couple other shows coming up, you know, at, at Nick and East bluegrass throwdown in October Providence art club, October 23rd as well. But your next gig is Ocean State Bluegrass Festival and Picnic. That's P-I-C-K dash N-I-C. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and which is Saturday, September 18th and Sunday the 19th in Warren, Rhode Island. Right. Uh, can you talk more about that 
that event. Um, yeah, you know, that's and, that's and, um, that's been a, an, an annual event through the Rhode Island Bluegrass Alliance, uh, mm-hmm. and they do a couple of events. They do a they do like a holiday time in the winter uh, picking session as well. Um, and again, you know, as you said, bluegrass is a community, and mm-hmm. it's tough to have a community when everyone's kind of woodshedding, right? We all experienced COVID, and there wasn't much community, and so it's really an opportunity to get together, to see friends. For a lot of us, it's like a big family reunion twice a year, you know, the yeah. winter show and then the awards assembly, then the bluegrass picnic. Um, and it's really meant to educate people, right? So there's, there's, uh, there's you know, musical instruction. Uh, there's probably some workshops. There's uh, mm-hmm. four, four or five bands that are Rhode Island-based bands that, that play uh, bluegrass, um, and, um, and I think we might be headlining the show at eight o'clock, but I think the show starts earlier on in the afternoon, Okay, uh, but it's out on Frerick's farm in Warren and, um, folks can get more information from it, uh, through our website, rockheartsbluegrass.com or through Rhode Island. I think it's ribluegrass.org. Yeah. Um, yeah. and that's, uh, the Rhode Island Bluegrass Alliance webpage. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so it's, it, you know, if the weather's great, man, it's going to be a, a super big time. And, and that's what, you know, I think last night you, you were listening to my conversation, you know, after the show, there's six, six young people came up and they said, you know, I just started playing guitar six months ago. How do I get involved? And, mm-hmm. and, and that guy's friend Lexi said, or Lex said, I used to sing a lot, but I don't really sing anymore, but how do I get involved? Yeah. And my advice I would give is, you know, bluegrass today is not just this old mountain music that mm-hmm. your grandparents might have listened to. It's a young, it's fresh, it's it's all acoustic, you know, except for occasional electric bass. Um, but it's an opportunity to come out and learn an instrument. So if you're just starting guitar, you've always wanted to play mandolin. The upright bass is really kind of cool looking. Come out, come out to the festival, bring your instrument, mm-hmm. Um look for opportunities, go introduce yourself. People aren't going to think you're weird They They get excited about new musicians that want to learn and especially oh, yeah, yeah. bluegrass. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, so that's, that's, uh, that's the best advice I could give to someone. So if you're new to bluegrass, if you're thinking about bluegrass, if you like old country, come on out to that festival on the 18th at Frerick's farm, uh, guaranteed to have a good time. You're going to learn a lot. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, it sets a fire in you to want to learn as much as you can about the music. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I love that event just because it is like very intentional. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, I've I've been fortunate to go to a lot of different bluegrass festivals and there's always jamming that's happening. Yeah. Um, but this one is, it's built into it. So yeah, Saturday, uh, gates are at three o'clock in the afternoon. There's three bands. So yes, rock hearts headlining. Redwood Inn is also playing Four right. Bridges, which is a fantastic band is yeah. also playing. There's food trucks, super affordable. There's camping. Uh, it's yeah, it's just going to be a great time. But, the you know, so that's Saturday and then Sunday, it's intentionally it's picking. It's where you can get together with people. You can jam. You can learn bluegrass. There's be some raffles. There'll be some workshops. So it is just that whole educational component is yeah. on Sunday, you know, and that starts a little bit earlier on one o'clock. That's free. Just uh, there's a, a small parking fee of $5 per car to get there, but it's a free event on Sunday. 
I mean, I recommend going to check out Rock Hearts and uh, everyone else. And, and, and you know, it, I just love what what Reba is doing with that and just how um, it, it's it's really just kind of built into this weekend to just create that next generation and, and see everyone that's heard this. You know, you're one of the top bluegrass bands in New England, see them play on this on a farm and then learn mm-hmm. about that stuff. And, and, you know, I, I mean, personally, I, the, I love the bluegrass scene and Sal and I have talked about this, but I've gone to gray Fox and I've stood next to Bella Fleck and I've talked to him. Like <laughs> right. he's like the most yeah. approachable person, you know? And yeah. like, even though he's one of the most gifted musicians ever to walk the planet, he's just mm-hmm. a guy. And, um, you don't, I've also had very different experiences from larger musicians in like the rock scene where the, I've, honestly been told to not look a person in the eye which is just beyond me but like well bluegrass is not that you know it's just like come with us you know come play you want to come pick just we're going to be sitting here i'm sure that you've had those kind of jams where you're just around a campfire and you know you're playing with this person that is so accomplished and or people might even think of that with you of like i'm sitting down with alex that guy played in northern lights and this guy plays with you know all these (laughs) things you know and you're like i'm just playing i just want to sing this song with you you know like (laughs) that's it i love it i mean i i only picked up guitar because i was a vocalist and nothing stranger than just seeing a dude singing without any instrument and it's kind of weird so i just picked (laughs) up a guitar Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but, but still bluegrass yeah. rhythm guitar is not the easiest thing. You gotta be pretty quick on that stuff, you know. So yeah, yeah. and that's <laughs> it. Like I you know, I'm not um I never had the discipline really to sit down and learn how to play lead guitar, but at the same time, my dad was a really accomplished, you know, lead guitar finger style picker, um, you know, in, in kind of the Earl Scruggs style. Mm-hmm. And uh and so I always sang harmony and and i played rhythm and um yeah and, and, and i've really just kind of enjoyed that davy dylan from boston who played rhythm guitar for um for joe val is is one of my biggest heroes like this mm-hmm. guy man i tell you his rhythm his right hand is just so solid <laughs> i i just i enjoy just watching him play guitar and yeah yeah you know and trying to just pick up one little nugget um you know, he's, he's just amazing. And so, yeah. And, and, you know, bluegrass is, it's a roots music. And and I think a lot of people in bluegrass know where they come from. They're humble people. Uh, and that's why they are approachable. And, and mm-hmm. imagine the very top of the game, right? Alison Krauss, mm-hmm. Ricky Skaggs, absolutely approachable. Yeah. You know, um, I was so thrilled years ago at Jenny Brook when my kids got to meet when I got to meet Ricky Skaggs, but I was with my kids who also got to meet Ricky Skaggs. Man, what a what a perfect dad moment, you know, mm-hmm. um, for them to meet one of my musical heroes and mm-hmm. absolutely approachable. Um, and that's how, yeah, that's how a lot of people are uh, in mm-hmm. bluegrass, you know, and and you sit there and you say, you know, a lot of people new to bluegrass will hear a bluegrass musician and they'll say, why aren't you famous? <laughs> you're so yeah. good why aren't you famous yeah. um you know and and you know some people in bluegrass don't want to be famous they want to play bluegrass mm-hmm. you know and uh so yeah um yeah there's some revolutionary people like bill keith comes to mind of like he is just and moved music into a different way of music like how people are you know interact with their instrument with those tuning pegs that he created i i my wife plays banjo and I 
ordered strings from him and Bill sent back like a hand signed note, like a handwritten note to me. Yeah. It was like the craziest thing because he's just a legend. And I, I got to see him at Gray Fox as well, but it was just like, uh, I don't know, just th- this, yeah, this person that has just moved music has influenced so many people has just shifted right. things. And he's just like, Oh, just, yeah. Thanks for buying some strings. Hope to see you at a show yeah. or whatever, you know, like, yeah, yeah, this is yeah. so cool. You know? Um, yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, when you get to a festival, um, you know, I remember seeing Bill Keith on the third floor of the Framingham Sheridan and a Joe Val. Yeah. And there was a big giant jam of about 30 people. And about 10 feet away, there's Bill just playing against the wall, just playing banjo against the wall to kind of pick up on the tone. And oh, okay. He might have had an idea about a, about a melody. So he just stepped aside and he was just playing against the wall, trying to get, you know, and um, and I'm like, that's Bill Keith, you know, and yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a Keith style banjo. Like people learn how to play Keith style banjo. Yeah. Um, you know, it's sort of like having an opportunity if you're a baseball guy to meet Lou Gehrig to meet yeah. you know uh big poppy like you know yeah. it's it's uh it's that kind of world um when I was in college Bill Monroe died and I I I, met, I saw him when I was really young um but I don't remember and it just was devastating so I made a commitment that I was going to try and meet every other bluegrass legend mm-hmm. and um and I have pursued that um, I'm a photographer on the side so I get pictures taken and you know, when I was down in Nashville, um, I, I went out to the Ernest Tubb record shop, Midnight Jamboree. Mm-hmm. Show starts at midnight <laughs> to see <laughs> to see um, to see the Osborne brothers. Oh, cool. And I'm over there watching Sonny and Bobby Osborne and they have Josh Graves playing Dobro, Dana Cup playing banjo. Uh, Daryl Mosley, who's all over the charts right now as a songwriter, he was playing bass for him. Um, and this is 20 years ago. This is 20, 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm out there with some of my friends I had met when I was in Nashville. And, um, you know, and then the very same day at Gibson, they released the tribute. Uh, Paul Williams and Audie Blaylock released the tribute to Jimmy Martin album, which is just an incredible album over at the Gibson Showcase. So, um, so everyone at the Gibson Showcase, I'm sure, is partying all day and drinking and having fun and doing whatever. So at about one o'clock, I'm sitting front row seeing the Osborne brothers and I see Bobby look up and just do a smile and nod his head towards the door. And my friend Robin elbowed me and she goes, you know what? I think Jimmy Martin just walked in. Sure enough, I had just on my way down to Nashville, I read a book called On the Road with the King. It was a small little table book about uh, a reporter that hung out with Jimmy Martin for a while. And I grew up, you know, Jimmy Martin fan, and I got to meet Jimmy Martin that night. And <laughs> yeah. it was just got my picture taken with him. He was decked out in all the rhinestones and <laughs> blinged out suits. And yeah, he, yeah. He was every bit of what I had always heard he was. And um, it was just a really cool thing. And so it's exciting, you know, when people get to meet, um, whether it's Tony Rice or it's JD mm-hmm. Crow or uh, you know, a guy like Chris Teeley for the younger generation, or in your case, mm-hmm. Bela Fleck, right? Del mm-hmm. McCory, mm-hmm. I mean, man, um, you know, and, and, you know, sadly the pioneers of bluegrass, they're, they're kind of getting older and, and we're, we're losing a lot of them. And, you know, a lot of ways it's sort of like the library in Alexandria, you know, once they're gone, they're gone. And mm-hmm. so it's real important for people to tap into that, 
to that information and, um, and those experiences, you know, so, yeah. um, all the more reason get out to the festivals, pick up an instrument. Um, it's, a, it's just a big call for people to get involved. Um, you know, and yeah. Uh, so yeah. yeah, I just have one more question for this segment. Unless, uh, is there anything that I forgot to uh, bring up that you'd like to talk about? Oh, let's see. Um, you know, I think um, when it comes to bands who are trying to to get going, you know, we certainly could use some support in that respect. And so one of the things what promoters look at is they'll look at, you know, diagnostics on Facebook. So, mm-hmm. you know, we've gone from about 200 followers to about 1100 followers. But if folks are listening, they want to check us out, you know, go to Facebook forward slash rock hearts, bluegrass, become a follower, um, you know, and that would help help us. Uh, mm-hmm. And then really help, you know, kind of New England bluegrass and Rhode Island bluegrass. Um, I would, so I'd invite that or, or you know, mm-hmm. come check out our website, um, you know, come out to our shows, invite some friends mm-hmm. um, and, um, you know, anything we can do to sort of promote that local music. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we've, we do have some really excellent Rhode Island based bluegrass bands. Um, so go out to those venues like the Wood River, like Nick and Ease, uh, like the festivals, Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of support that music and, and, uh, you know, and, and hopefully the, it'll be alive and well for our next generations to, yeah. to enjoy. Yeah. I'll just add buy your record as well buy the rock arts record. It's, you know? it's really good. Yeah. Thank <laughs> so you. I'll, I'll yeah. throw that out there as well. You know, like you yep. can actually and- support a band by, uh, uh, you know, giving them a few bucks and it's a, that's a beautiful record. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and it's cool. yeah. And, and if we could, yeah, just to push the merch, you know, um, we, we do at festivals, you know, our, our CDs are $15, our t-shirts are $15. Um, but if you buy both, it's $25. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can get my email on our website, just shoot me a, a line and we'll, we'll set it up with, through PayPal or, or Stripe and, uh, we'll get the merch out to you or, or see us at a festival. We'll have it with us there. And yeah, yeah it's always exciting to go somewhere and say, Oh, that's a rock hearts t-shirt. I'm in there. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like those guys. Kind of yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that's, I guess my parting line is just come out and say hi to us to where yeah, just yeah. guys and, and, uh, it's just exciting. Yeah. But Alex, I just have one last question for you here is, uh, and it's a big one. You know, so, okay. uh, but what would you say is your greatest music accomplishment to this point? Man, that, that is a big question. Yeah. I like um, to drop it on people. You know? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of give you two. Yeah. That's perfect. All right. The first one was I had always wanted to go to Nashville as a musician. Right. And, mm-hmm. and a dear friend of mine, when I moved to Nashville, he was my first bass player in New Hampshire. He moved to Nashville. His name was Bob Smiley. Love him to death. Um, and Bob moved to Nashville to work for ASCAP. And he was the kid. He was the guy that looked at me at my very first gig at Panucci's Ale House in Keene, New Hampshire. After I did my very first song, he looked at me and uh, and I did a song called That's How I Can Always Count on You. And he looked at me and goes, well, you're in it now, buddy. Right? And I remember <laughs> yeah. that. So yeah. when I went down years later he was living in Nashville and I hung out with him and we did some songwriting and he said, Alex, let me ask you a question. Um, you know, you're coming to Nashville and up in new England, there aren't many bluegrass bands. First of all, this is 2005 (laughs) and there aren't a lot of really strong male vocalists up there. And so you're sort of up there, kind of a big fish in a small pond. 
So why would you want to come to Nashville where there's 25,000 of you Mm -hmm. and there's 24,999 that are better than you, right? (laughs) So you're an awfully small fish in a big giant pond. And, you know, so I spent my three months down there just networking, meeting people and and, Mm -hmm. and just enjoying myself. And then I came home and thankfully I got married to uh, my wife and, and it's, and it's just been awesome ever since. But the, pinnacle for that experience was um, I got to be friends with a guy, Sam Jackson, who is the MC at the fame station in, right? The Parthenon of bluegrass. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the, I think my highest accomplishment to that point was when Sam asked me to play with the Sam Jackson gang at the station in. Wow. Cool. Kind of like, you know, um, you know, being asked, Hey, can you cover third base tonight for the Red Sox? <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. come down out yeah. of the stands and cover yeah. third base. Yeah. yeah, It was sort of like that. And, um, I, you know, I jumped up on stage and man, it, it was just, it was like being able to play ball at Fenway. Mm-hmm. There's no other way I can explain it. And I just felt like that was it. Uh, and I could happily go home and get married and get back into my professional life as a, as an educator and, mm-hmm. and, no regrets. Um, yep. So that was the first part. And then here we are, you know, 17 years later and I'm with rock hearts and, you know, the band is um, being asked to play at the IBMX. Yeah. You know? Uh, and so I would have to say that that is um, that's probably right up there with, uh, you know, hit number debuting at number 14, mm-hmm. you know, on the bluegrass charts uh, for our very first single that was pretty big too. Um, yeah, so yeah. I would say probably those three, um, you That's know, really cool. and then, um, if, if after that, it would probably, probably be passing on the legacy of, of love for music to my kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if that ever happens, um, mm-hmm. then that would be, uh, that would be at that point in my life, the, the largest accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Alex, you have an amazing career. I mean, from just the bands that you've played in and people that you've played with and what you just shared, it's it's really amazing to get to share your story with everyone. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend checking out Rock Hearts, check out some of your other stuff. I mean, Northern Lights is a legendary pioneering band from this area. It's just amazing yeah. that you got to play with them. And, um, and yeah. Go and see a rock art show. Go to the Ocean State Bluegrass Festival. Go see a show at Nickanese Bluegrass Throwdown is uh, second. Is, yeah, is, is it the second Wednesday? Every second, second Wednesday, Wednesday of every month. I guess I should have written that down. Sorry, Sal. Um, yeah. But that's an awesome time. And yeah, shout out to Nickanese for for being a great host for that. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's been amazing to to talk to you about this stuff, Alex. And yeah, thanks for that. So. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity, James. I, I love what you're doing, and and I and I appreciate what you're doing too. Because you know, um, you know, someone that's listening to your podcast might just come to fall in love with bluegrass, and that mm-hmm. just uh, helps kind of keep it alive. So, um, you, you know, you are contributing, just like a band would, or a promoter would, or a venue would. So, um, I appreciate what you do as well, man. Well, thank you. Yeah, it means a lot. Thank yeah. You. The band was playing a waltz. The old man stumbled from his chair A sad smile flashed across his face As his mind drifted somewhere 
made his way through the crowd to an empty dance floor. He gently took his lover's hand. He fell in love with her once more. He held her tightly in his arms. Beneath those shining neon lights Like you did when they were kids Under the starry southern nights He whispered, dear, I love you And I will till I die Waltzing with her memories Beneath the starry southern filled up with tears Although they dance here every night His one true love's been gone for years He whispered, dear, I love you And I will till I die Waltzing with her memory Beneath the starry southern nights And now he's waltzing with her memory Beneath the starry southern nights 